As the first day of the week was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary come to see the tomb. It must have been an honor to have your name written down in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Even still, I'm not sure how much I'd want to be referred to as the other Mary throughout all of church history and church proclamation. I tend not to have that problem too often as I'm usually the only Anders that people know. Although there was that one time someone tried to email me and they sent it to the wrong email address and so the message was forwarded back saying, Greetings from another Anders Edstrom in Stockholm, Sweden. Probably the first and only time in my life where that will happen. I have two Uncle Marks in my family and two Aunt Karens. Interestingly enough, enough, they're located on either side of my family. So my Uncle Marks are on my mom's side and my Aunt Karens are on my dad's side. And it made family gatherings confusing for me because I had to be extra specific when I was addressing them. And so finally, one day, tired of all the confusion, one of my Aunt Karens pulled me aside and said, still within earshot of everybody else, listen, I'm Aunt Karen, and that one over there, that's the other Aunt Karen. Now, of course, she was joking, and we all knew that, and my dad's family has this tendency to keep jokes going for perhaps too long. And so for a while, we actually called her the other Aunt Karen. Mary and the other Mary show up at Jesus' tomb, and we expect them to come carrying spices. That's what they do in Mark and Luke's story. But in Matthew, just as in John, Jesus' body has already been anointed for burial. Joseph of Arimathea, who was a secret disciple of Jesus and a dissenting voice at his trial, had already arranged for the burial and the anointing of Jesus' body. But Matthew adds something unique to his story, that even in his death, both the religious and political authorities are still incredibly anxious about Jesus. There seems to be no end to their sweaty, palmed hand-wringing about Jesus, even after they have him crucified. Because the religious leaders had heard this rumor that Jesus had said while he was alive that after three days he would again come back from the dead. And so they go back to Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor who they had sentenced Jesus to death, and they tell him that they're very worried that Jesus' followers will come to the tomb and exhume the body and spread the rumor that Jesus came back from the dead just as he said he would, that they would deceive everybody. And that would be worse than anything he said or did while he was alive, they say. So Pilate gives them permission to go back to the tomb with armed soldiers. But even that wasn't enough to calm their anxiety about the now dead Jesus and his disciples. Because not only is a stone rolled in front of the tomb, but Matthew says the stone is sealed shut. Stop and think about that for just a moment. Jesus has been executed. He's dead and buried. And still, these political and religious authorities are incredibly anxious, and so they put armed guards in front of the tomb and they seal it shut with some flex seal with the hope that no one gets in. And so I hope that Matthew was smirking as he wrote down this part of his story. That Jesus, a homeless rabbi from some dusty backwater who preaches a message of love and forgiveness and human dignity and connection with God, that vast in the number of his followers, 
with the poor, the weak, the disabled, and the outsider. And yet, despite all of that, they're still incredibly afraid of him. They are still incredibly anxious about his message. That with all of their money, with all of their brute strength and power, they still fear the ragamuffin followers of this now dead rabbi. If there's anything that powerful institutions and people fear, it's that the sort of things that Jesus preached about, love and inclusion and justice and hope, it's a fear that those things would be fully realized in our world. Nothing makes their palms sweat, their knees shake, and their stomachs clench more than the sort of message Jesus preached and the idea that his followers would put it into practice. And so these two women, Mary and the other Mary, come without spices because Jesus' body has already been anointed for burial. His dead body is under 24-hour armed guard and the tomb has been sealed shut. And so the question is, why are the two Marys there? They've come, Matthew says, to see the tomb. And they're not there just to simply look at the tomb, but they are there for the cultural task of making sure that premature burial hasn't taken place. They have come to confirm that Jesus is in fact dead. And typically that task fell culturally to women, although men could also do it. But then, just as now, women are often the ones who bear the emotional pain. That the male disciples have already run away out of their own sense of fear and gone back to Galilee. But the women were there at the cross when Jesus died, and they are there again at the sealed and guarded tomb to make sure that Jesus is in fact dead. They've come to confirm what they expect to see. And so when they round the corner, the first rays of sunlight marking the dawning of the first day of the week, they do in fact see what they expect to see. The guards are there and they are standing there watching the dead to make sure that the dead actually stay dead. And the mortar around the tomb has now solidified. What they expect to see is true. Jesus is in fact dead. Things carry on as they always do. The old assumptions are still the ground on which we all stand. I read a story not too long ago about a cantankerous Baptist preacher named Carlisle Marney. He was speaking to some students at a Christian college when a student asked, Dr. Marney, would you say a word or two about the resurrection of the dead? And Marney replied, I will not discuss the resurrection with like the likes of you. I don't discuss such matters with anyone under the age of 30. Look at you all in the prime of your life. Never have you known honest to God, failure, heartburn, impotency, solid defeat, brick walls, or mortality. You're extremely apt and handsome. White kids who have never in all your lives been 30 miles from home or 20 minutes into the New Testament or more than a mile and a half from a Baptist or Methodist church or a thousand miles from any issue that mattered to a kingdom that matters. So what can you know of a world that makes sense if Christ is raised? Cantankerous indeed. And according to Dr. Marnie, I've just barely made the cut to speak to you all about the resurrection of the dead this morning. But I don't think Dr. Marnie is all that fair to anyone under the age of 30 because 
they know just as much, if not more than the rest of us, about the sort of world that only makes sense if Christ is raised. They know about a sort of world where the women come to the tomb to confirm that everything is carrying on as it always has. And that's one of the things that makes me the most sad about the younger generations is that they are learning at younger and younger ages the sort of world in which women arrive at the tomb to confirm that things are carrying on as they always have. And I don't think any of us are unaware of that sort of world because we know about a sort of world where the empires of history, those guardians of death, think that they have the power to silence truth and justice. We know how violence seems to be the way that things go, and it makes us think that peace is idealistic to believe in. We know of a sort of world where there is an insatiable amount of greed, where there never seems to be enough money, even for those who already possess so much of it. We know of a world where the majority of people in the world's richest nation live paycheck to paycheck. We know of a world of fear and panic from this ongoing coronavirus pandemic, and not only the fear and the panic, but also the exhaustion from this going on way longer than we thought, this being the second Easter where we cannot gather as we would have wanted to. This morning, 8.30 this morning, I was preaching in the back of a pickup truck, not a place I ever thought I would be giving a sermon. We know of a world where there is enough food to feed every man, woman, and child, and yet there are still people even in our own communities that go hungry. We know of a world where hatred, prejudice, and discrimination are not only the commonplace, but at times they are described as acceptable in the way we are supposed to act. So with all due respect to Dr. Marnie, the great preacher that he was, We all know well the sort of world in which the women arrive at the tomb. And those guardians of death can leave us believing that this is all that's possible. They believe that they're powerful enough to leave us believing that they have the power to seal up goodness and love and justice and hope and peace and everything good behind the stone of a tomb. And if we're not careful we will start to think that our only task is to be like the women and to show up and to confirm reality as it is, to say that this is the way the world is and there is nothing else. The dead will remain dead. That is, until the earth starts shaking. That just as Mary and the other Mary are about to confirm that this is the only world that's possible, the ground begins to shake And this wasn't some small tremor. This was a powerful earthquake. Mark describes Easter as a discovery of the empty tomb. Luke describes meeting the risen Christ around the table. And and John describes this deeply personal encounter between Jesus and Mary Magdalene. But in Matthew, Easter is a giant earthquake. It's the the shaking of the foundations that held up the old world. It's a, a seismic shift in what we've always known to be true. The ground that we are used to standing on is now completely different terrain. We are not standing in an ordinary place as the ground shakes, but we are standing in the midst of the action and the redemption of God. We modern Western folks think that we can claim mastery over everything, and we have tried to claim some sort of mastery over this divine action. 
Christian apologists have said that Jesus' body was simply resuscitated on Easter morning, and and skeptics have said that the, the women at best had a deeply personal spiritual experience, that Jesus was simply raised in their hearts. But what Matthew describes for us is not just some ordinary and explainable event. This is not simply the the resuscitation of a corpse. It's not simply some spiritual event in the inner life of the disciples and the women. This is the creation of a new category. This is a, a seismic shift in what we always thought was possible. This is the release of God's resurrection power in the world. This is the end of the old world and the beginning of God's new creation. Those guardians of the old world, those centuries of death-dealing powers shake just as the earth shakes and they become like dead men. They thought that by all of their power and their wealth and their fear, they could keep people out, but it turns out they couldn't keep Jesus in. The foot soldiers of, of death and oppression, the protectors of fear and despair are powerless before the resurrection power of God. The old world of sin and death shakes, and the foundations are left beyond repair. I wonder if Pilate and the religious leaders, his co-conspirators in Jesus' death, were sleeping comfortably in some opulent palace somewhere in those early morning hours, and I wonder if that powerful act of God roused them from sleep, and they became anxious yet again as they realized that their power and their grip on this world was loosening. The earth shakes, and suddenly we realize that the light of the first day of the week is actually the dawning of a new creation. The earth shakes, and we run with fear and great joy. We run smack into our risen and living Lord. As the first day of the week was still dawning, the foundations of the old world began to shake, and they have not stopped shaking since. The shockwaves of that first Easter are still rumbling through our world. The earth has not stopped shaking because people of faith who believe that Jesus walked out of the tomb continue to try and make the resurrection real and true in their world. The foundations of the old world of sin and death and illness, fear, oppression, and injustice have not stopped shaking because of people like us. The foundations of the old world shake And God's new creation bursts forth. The women showed up at the tomb that morning, thinking that it was their task to confirm that everything was carrying on as it always has, that the dead are in fact dead and the dead remain dead. Instead, as the earth starts shaking, the women find out that they are there to witness the birth of a new creation. They are there not to confirm the world as it is, but the world as it could be. And they are given a new task to proclaim the good news of Easter, the great hope of resurrection. The pastor Timothy F. Sampson, in his last sermon before his death, his last sermon was an Easter sermon, and he says this, If the dead aren't going to remain in their tombs, then maybe the poor aren't always going to stay poor. Maybe the sick aren't going to stay sick. Maybe the the disenfranchised aren't always going to be that way. And maybe the empires of the world that seem to rule and have their sway for decades and generations and seem to be here for time and eternity, maybe they're not going to last. 
If Christ walks out of the tomb on Easter Sunday, what else is possible? What's possible for us? What's possible for Greenfield Presbyterian Church? What's possible for Berkeley and Oakland County and all of our communities? We are here this morning with the women to hear the good news of Easter. And we are commissioned with them to be the aftershocks of that first Easter. That we too are to go and shake the foundations of old assumptions and in its place bring hope and possibility. Because Easter tells us that a new world is possible. Whenever and wherever we claim the power of resurrection, whenever we can embody resurrection, the truth that Jesus walked out of the tomb, the foundations continue to shake. Wherever we serve those who Jesus called the little ones, the ones that the world says are the least of these, our brothers and sisters, whenever we feed the hungry and become a neighbor to strangers, work for justice and reconciliation in the world, wherever we visit the lonely and give hope to the hopeless, wherever we are the voice and the presence of love, wherever we do all of that and so much more, we are the aftershocks of that first Easter. We shake the foundations of the old world and from us, God's new creation bursts forth like the dawn. Wherever the foundations shake, we know that Easter is still dawning in our world. Wherever the foundations shake, we know that Jesus, all of him, his body, his spirit, his mission, his ministry, all of who he was and all of who he is, is still alive and working in our world and he is indeed our risen and living Lord. So today on this Easter Sunday, may you run with fear and great joy and shake the foundations of this world with with love and justice, peace, mercy, compassion, and whatever good things you can find. And as you shake the foundations, may God's new creation burst forth from you like the dawn. And as the foundations shake, as the old world and all of its assumptions fade away, may you run smack into our risen and living Lord Jesus, who is the Christ. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Happy Easter and amen.